You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Russia goes fishing in the North American and European power grid. NATO has had about enough of that. There will be no U.S.-Russian joint cybersecurity effort. The Adwin rat is back and seeking to socially engineer its way into aerospace company networks. We've got some election hacking investigation updates, industry notes including both venture and M&A news, and BYOD can pose a threat, especially when the device your rogue employees are bringing is an off-the-books server. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 11th, 2017. More on the cyber attempt on the U.S. energy sector has come to light. It was apparently a phishing campaign mounted from Russia and without effect on operational systems. Nonetheless, members of the U.S. Congress are expressing concern and demanding explanations. EnergyWire reports that the campaign has been in progress since May and that the attackers are drawing from the Ukraine playbook, that is, the complex attacks used to take down sections of the Ukrainian grid twice since late 2015. Europe is seeing similar probes of its critical infrastructure, and authorities and experts there, too, suspect Russia. Actually getting into power plant operational systems isn't trivial, but it's not impossible either. Observers note that phishing is one obvious attack method, but so are malware-laden USB drives and either malicious or compromised insiders. Those latter two approaches would overcome the air-gapping in which so many industrial operations place so much confidence. Robert Hannigan, former head of the UK's GCHQ, told the BBC that, quote, there is a disproportionate amount of mayhem in cyberspace coming from Russia, from state activity, end quote and that this may be deterred only through retaliation. NATO has announced that it's providing Ukraine with a range of cyber capabilities to aid that country in the hybrid war Russia is waging in the Donbass and elsewhere. In a joint press conference with Ukrainian President Poroshenko, NATO Secretary General Stolenberg said the Atlantic Alliance was providing Ukraine with the means to investigate the cyber attacks it sustained. The alliance has also told Russia that it wants Russian troops out of Ukraine. U.S. sanctions are expected to stay in place as long as the Russian occupation of Crimea continues. The very short-lived glimmer of international cooperation, confidence-building, and detente that twinkled on Sunday went out in less than 13 hours, as measured in U.S. President Trump's tweets on the possibility of easing tension in cyberspace. There will be no joint U.S.-Russian effort to shore up cybersecurity, President Trump's account of his meeting with President Putin said he pressed the Russian leader on election hacking, and in any case, Congress is unlikely to find itself in the mood for any reset in relations, still less any detente. In the U.S., various investigations into Russian election hacking and the fallout therefrom continue. 
President Trump's son will testify before Congress concerning campaign season contacts from Russian actors who said they had discreditable information on Democratic candidate Clinton. And it appears that former FBI Director Comey's private memoranda of conversations with President Trump may have contained improperly classified information. We turn with some relief to more ordinary cybercrime and a mix of industry news. Trend Micro warns that a spam campaign pushing the cross-platform remote access Trojan AdWind is in progress. This time around, the rat is for the most part snuffling around the aerospace industry, with targets in Switzerland, Ukraine, Austria, and the U.S. Trend Micro notes that social engineering is an important part of its approach. Several significant bits of industry news are breaking. Darktrace has raised $75 million for a just-shy-of-unicorn valuation of $825 million. Darktrace has shown considerable ability to penetrate the lucrative U.S. market, and it also announced early today that it had concluded a strategic partnership with managed security services provider Citic Telecom CPC to gain traction in Asia and the Pacific. RiskLens has secured $5 million in Series A funding, the equity investment was led by Osage Venture Partners, with participation by Paladin Capital, Dell Technologies Capital, and Kickstart. High Trust has also raised money, some $36 million in Series E funding from Advanced Venture Partners, and has acquired Data Gravity for its data security solutions capability. Symantec has bought SkyCure as a mobile security play. Along with last week's acquisition of Fireglass, a browser isolation shop, the SkyCure acquisition is expected to enhance Symantec's position in the endpoint protection markets. Finally, StarHub has announced that it will fully acquire cybersecurity firm Acel for $26 million Singapore dollars. The Singapore telco already owned 51% of Acel. Now it will have the whole shebang. Returning from commerce to crime and punishment, the former head of Bitcoin exchange Mt. Gox is about to go on trial on charges of embezzlement. Cryptocurrency traders and users hope the trial will have a clearing, salutary effect on the market. But cryptocurrencies are affording opportunities for crime elsewhere. The South Korean exchange BitThumb, whose hacking we've been following, didn't suffer embezzlement, but it did sustain a breach of customer information apparently traceable to BYOD gone bad. An employee's computer appears to have been compromised, which then opened the door to compromise. And in Italy, according to Darktrace, a bank's servers were used in a Bitcoin mining scheme. This one involved BYOD with a vengeance. BYOS, bring your own servers. As employees took advantage of electrical power and cooling systems in data centers to install their own off-the-book servers dedicated to coin mining. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Officer at Level 3 Communications. Uh, Dale, welcome back. Um, You know, we have, uh, certainly we've had a lot of news about botnets, and uh, that's something that you all have to deal with when they occur. Uh, Let's talk about botnets. Where where do you see things headed uh, as we look towards the horizon? We're seeing sort of a evolution of botnets. Not only are they becoming much more commoditized, and not only are they able to make much more money for the actual bad guys themselves, and the bad guys have really sort of uh, been able to to rent botnet out to consumers at a much faster rate and faster scale. Uh, but we're seeing uh, technology inside the botnet evolving to really avoid detection. The, the two things that we're seeing that from a botnet evolution perspective is, uh, or three things I would say, we're seeing bad guys take different components of botnet technology that's been released in the wild and sort of plug that stuff in together. WannaCry is a great example of of people taking different piece parts and components of different botnets. You know, one is a IP address scanning algorithm and one is a disk encryption algorithm and you know, one is a, uh, a drop you know, deployment and infection algorithm, and they put all that stuff together and then create uh, something new uh, as a result using old piece parts. But we're also seeing some you know, uh, of the core botnet developers getting more sophisticated. And so two trends that really worry us are the use of peer-to-peer and the use of Tor. And so WannaCry, again, is a good example of Tor, where the bad guy's communication with the command and control infrastructure was over the Tor network. And so anyone watching the sort of internet network, the, you know, the backbone infrastructure, lost that visibility because all you saw was traffic going into uh, a, a Tor entry node and out of a Tor exit node. You know, there's, there's a lot of mechanisms to be able to track that activity, but, but uh, the security community really needs to orient its attention uh, in the Tor space. And then the other one is peer-to-peer, and, and peer-to-peer is, is scary because every node becomes a botnet node and every node becomes a command and control system. You, you can no longer just cut off the head uh, of a piece of infrastructure anymore. You now have to you know, shut down the entire infrastructure before you have any effect on that botnet's effectiveness. Is there any sense that there's a growing sophistication in the types of devices that the botnet wranglers are bringing into the botnets? I'd say, you know, what, what the bad guys, and especially the organized crime and the nation-state bad guys, what, what they're really interested in is two things. They're, they're interested in scale. They're, they're focusing attention on two, on two primary things. One is protocols that have a deep entrenchment in the Internet. And so anything that they can find, SMB is a great example, DNS is a great example of, you know, any protocol that, that, that has a rich history and a deep entrenchment um, capability inside the Internet, they want to take advantage of those protocols because 
of the massive amount of scale they instantly have access to and the level of difficulty to repair those sorts of protocols that have such a, a long life. The other one is is uh, devices from a scale perspective. So the reason why Internet of Things is so popular is one exposure is, is essentially the same exposure for every single same class of device, of that IoT device. And so if they can find a single exposure that uh, doesn't have the nuance of being slightly patched over here or have an antivirus control over there or an intrusion detection capability over there, if they know that same exposure will, will uniformly work across a large scale of devices, that those are the sorts of devices they're going after. Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. Now I'd like to tell you about some research from our sponsor, Delta Risk. We all depend on the power grid. You've heard a lot over the last few months about the grid's vulnerability. Crash override, in particular, threw a scare into the energy distribution sector. It's a real threat, and its masters demonstrated what they can do last December in Ukraine. Even a minor disruption to the power grid could be devastating to all of us. Download Delta Risk's new white paper, Cybersecurity and the Grid, The Definitive Guide, for insight into how the North American power grid works, an overview of current regulations, and a look at potential cyber threats. You'll find the guide at deltarisk.com slash grid hyphen white paper. Delta Risk LLC, a Chertoff Group company, is a global provider of strategic advice, cybersecurity, and risk management services to commercial and government clients. Learn more about Delta Risk by visiting deltarisk.com, and while you're there, get that guide to cybersecurity for the grid. It's deltarisk.com slash grid hyphen white paper. And we thank Delta Risk for sponsoring our show. Anyone who does any amount of browsing online is quick to notice that advertisers are tracking you, popping up ads for products you may have been browsing or even just searching for online. Lance Cottrell is chief scientist at Intrepid, and he joins us to offer some insights on online ads and the technology behind them. Advertising has really started to turn up everywhere and get very aggressive about the kinds and amount of information they're keeping track of. Just because you visit some particular website doesn't mean you want information about that forever. And if I happen to be going to a site looking up hemorrhoids or something embarrassing, and then I'm later using a web browser with someone looking over my shoulder and all, all the ads along the side of the browser are for hemorrhoids, that's awkward and right. weird. And there's no way for me to go for a friend that was re whatever, you know. It's it's annoying. There seems to be this ongoing uh, developing arms race between the the browsers and the the people who make plugins for browsers. And uh, and we just had an announcement from Apple at their um, at their developer event that they're having uh, they're enhancing their Safari browser with something they're calling intelligence tracking prevention. Right. So what they're trying to do is reduce the ability for third parties to be tracking you as you move around the internet. So first parties are the people you're actually connecting to. So if you go to a website, they often need cookies to make the website work. And they may in fact be using tools from second parties. So if they're using Google Analytics to track their own website, or if they've got other things to manage a fraud on their website, those are second parties. Third parties are the advertisers that are going through networks onto your uh, websites that you're visiting. 
And that's where the concern comes up, because now it's not just someone tracking your activities on that one website, but it's about the ability to track you across the entire Internet. Every page you go to, realistically, these days will have a Google ad tracker built into it. And that's how they get this ubiquitous view. For a long time, browsers have had the ability to block third-party cookies. So you can go in there. In fact, most of them by default now don't allow someone who's not directly involved in your interaction with the website to set these kinds of trackers. And very quickly, the advertisers adapted. So they now have tools to get around that and track you anyway. So Apple is sort of taking the next step in that arms race to try to stop that kind of circumvention. And so they're building smart tools to try to recognize when that's gonna happen and shut that down again. But this is a very active arms race. And while consumers are somewhat interested in stopping this and express it often, but don't do much about it, uh, the advertisers are hugely motivated to do this kind of tracking. So I suspect that any gains that Apple uh, creates with the tools like this will be quickly undone by the advertising, marketing, and tracking companies that are so motivated to, to maintain that ability. And you make the point that this might give people a false sense of security. Exactly. It, like incognito mode in the browser, you know, people turn on something like this and think, oh, okay, now I'm not being tracked. But the things that these browsers address is only a small fraction of the kinds of tracking that take place. So they can prevent, say, cookies from being implanted on your uh, browser, but at the same time, your computer's address, your IP address, will often uniquely identify you or at least your household or your business on the internet. And in fact, almost every browser has a unique fingerprint. The combination of all the plugins, all the fonts, all the character sets, all the preferences, the size of the monitor, all of that goes together. And you think that's not that much, but actually combined, it makes you unique, the only visitor to most websites you visit with that exact fingerprint. And that allows these people to reapply the cookies to you, retrack you. And of course, that's advertisers, that's corporations, but that's also governments, uh, hackers, someone who wants to attack you. Anyone can use these tools and do. And so what's to be done? If I want to have a reasonable amount of privacy, what are some of the steps I can take to do that? I think the first step is being very judicious about what you share, right? When you're using these social media platforms, I think we need to go in with the there is no privacy on these platforms kind of attitude. You, know, you can set which of your friends see things, but we just have to assume that, the, that everything we do is on a postcard uh, and, and take care with not sharing it in the first place. I mean, my, my general axiom is that sort of data is a toxic asset. If it exists, it's a problem and it will get out, it will leak. You just have to assume at some point your ISP is gonna get hacked or your email will get exposed or your computer will get compromised and you'll get doxxed. If embarrassing stuff exists, there's always a chance that it can get out there. So the first key is just being very judicious about what you create and making sure that you keep as little as you need to for as short a time as you need to. Um, and then, you know, if you want to do something that requires privacy, that is an issue, make sure that you use tools. You use, uh, there are specific anonymity tools. Uh, we build a tool called Anonymizer. There's things like Tor that are out there that you can use. Uh, use those with care for just that purpose and then clean it out and go back to your normal activities. It's, it's not easy to combine both. That's Lance Cottrell from Intrepid. 
Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.